Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Luciferic, the Arimanic, and the Asuric beings are now there, and we have to transform it. We have to bring Christ's force into this and transform it. Transform it. Transform it. The Medicine Path Podcast is an ongoing exploration into the intersections of spirituality, depth psychology, and psychedelics. The Medicine Path is a wholly independent and listener-supported project, so please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com forward slash medicinepath or by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. You can find out more information at medicinepathpodcast.com. Now, here's your host, Brian James. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. Well, dear unknown friend, I have to say that this is perhaps the most important podcast that I've recorded so far. I think so because it deals with a topic that is becoming increasingly relevant with the growing popularity of psychedelics, magic, and other occult practices. On this episode, I speak with Norwegian healer and author Ara Torresen about his 2020 book, Demons and Healing, The Reality of the Demonic Threat and the Doppelganger in the Light of Anthroposophy, Demonology, Christology, and Medicine. Yeah, the title is quite a mouthful. Now, a little bit about Ara. Ara Torresen was born in Norway in 1952. A doctor of veterinary medicine, he has also studied anthroposophic medicine, homeopathy, acupuncture, osteopathy, and agriculture. Since 1981, he has run a private holistic practice in Sandefjord, Norway, for the healing of small animals and horses, as well as people. He has lectured widely, specializing in veterinary acupuncture, and has published dozens of scholarly articles. 
1984, he started to treat cancer patients, both human and animals, and this work has been the focus of much of his recent research. He is the author of Demons and Healing and several other books on complementary medicine. Now, in our conversation, Ara and I discuss many aspects of demonic entities and possession, how they're created, how they cause physical and mental disease, and how we can transform them and protect ourselves from them. In his books, Are writes in great detail about these entities, and trust me, it can pretty soon begin to feel pretty complex and overwhelming. So in, in an attempt to keep this conversation as grounded and relatable as possible, I thought it would be helpful if I shared a personal experience of mine with a demonic entity that I encountered while experimenting with astral projection as a teenager, and how I dealt with it 20 years later in the Central Daimi Ayahuasca Church. So this experience is something that I've really only talked about with maybe two or three people over the years. And while I'm a little reluctant to share it publicly, I feel that it could actually save someone's life. I think it's that important. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Ara Torresen on The Medicine Path. Here with Are Torresen. Did I pronounce your name okay? Well, not too bad. Acceptable. <laughs> can you can you uh, tell us your name just so we get clear? Are Torresen. Are Torresen. Very good. Very good. Okay, I've been watching some uh, Norwegian TV shows lately, so maybe my ears are more attuned to that kind of accent. And could you tell us uh, where you're calling in from so people have an idea of where you are? Well, I live uh, southwest of Oslo along the coast uh, in the middle of the first capital of Norway, the Viking capital, who was here. There were three main capitals in Scandinavia. This was Kalpang in Norway, Hedeby in Denmark, and Birka in Sweden. And I uh, happen to live just in that was once was the capital, but now is an ordinary little town. Hmm. And are there uh, castle ruins in your no, town? No, no. no. The Vikings never built castles. They only worked in wood, houses, timber, wooden ships, so uh, no castles. You know, in on the east coast of Canada in Newfoundland, uh, they found some um, signs of Viking settlements that were here long before Columbus made the journey. Yeah, I know. Incredible to to make that distance across those waters way back then. Yeah, they had good ships. Good ships and. Uh, must have been very, very brave and hardy people, too. Yes, because you see, um, the Vikings firmly believed, and which 
maybe is actually also correct that if you died in the bed, then you came to hell. If you died working, fighting, exploring, then you came to heaven. Mm. So it was a great happiness actually to die <laughs> on such occasions. <laughs> so people would volunteer for such adventures. I had no fear of that. Mm. Their fear was not to die on such adventures. Mm. So don't get caught sleeping. <laughs> and, uh, our fear is to die on adventures. We want to die in our bed. <laughs> yeah, we want to peacefully pass away uh, in the middle of the night. Yes. Mm. What a difference. Very helpful. Well, I wonder, um, some people listening may not be familiar with you and your work, and it might be helpful if you just gave people some background on who you are and the work that you've been doing. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I'm a Norwegian, and I started off uh, when I was a few, five, six years, and then I started to over the threshold of the elemental world, being acquainted to elemental beings and demons and natural nature spirits. Uh, I lost sort of this ability in the teens. And uh, then I studied uh, first uh, agriculture. And then I studied veterinary medicine, and uh, then I studied human medicine, and then I started spirituality and such things, and spiritual medicine. Mm -hmm. Now, were you raised with uh, anthroposophy, or is that something you came to on your own? Oh, that was much later, actually, when I was 21. Uh, I uh, had, uh, as as I said, I had I was acquainted to the spirit, acquainted to the spiritual world, so I knew it was a spiritual world. And then I started to study, and nobody believed in it. I could speak to nobody, and I felt utterly alone and depressed. So I quit studying at the veterinary school. I decided if I cannot find anybody to talk to within a year, I, I might as well kill myself. Mm. Then I, uh, because I'm quite practical, I thought, okay, when I take this year off to find something spiritual, I might as well do something uh, that I have to do. So I did the civil service instead of military service. And then I suddenly came to a Camp Hill place. So for people, well, people listening may not be familiar with Rudolf Steiner and his work, but Camp Hill are uh, farming settlements uh, based on anthroposophic ideas, right? Yes. So uh, then I found Rudolf Steiner and anthroposophy, and I could, uh, yeah, go back to studying because then I could, I found people to speak to. And, yeah, and, and that's been like that since. Yeah, well, um, so that was 21. And so you've been practicing and developing your form of uh, healing and your spiritual work for many decades, right? Yes. 
that will be uh, actually I started with that uh, when I was like say six seven years old mm. by treating and exploring the spiritual world so uh, but uh, first patient I actually treated that was in 77 so that's about 40 some years ago I guess mm-hmm and what were those first experiences like when you're just a little kid? Was there any context for you to understand them? Did you grow up in a spiritual family? No. My, well, my mother was Christian and my father was an intellectual atheist. So I uh, believed I was an intellectual atheist too when I was young. Um, but I saw these uh, spirits, but I thought, you see, I saw these things and I experienced these things, but I thought it was just inside my head. I thought it was subjective. And uh, being 16, 17, I always carried a New Testament in my pocket, mm. being an atheist. And, and what bothered me was that every time I read in the Testament, I started to cry. Hmm. And I said, that is so strange. Why do I cry every time? I'm an atheist. Why? Oof, stop with this. Hmm. And then later, of course, I, uh, I became more and more, uh, yeah, you might say, a spiritual Christian. And also experiencing time travels, angels, demons, elemental beings, translocation, and so on. Then uh, I became more and more acquainted with these realms. Mm -hmm. Well, I uh, yeah. and, and uh, when I was seventeen, I had this uh, girl that I loved extremely, and she broke up me with me because she was a Christian. And I was actually more than her, but I didn't know. <laughs> so it was quite a quite a, yeah, what do you call that in English? Ironic, maybe. Yeah, ironic. Ironic. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh. Well, I wanted to invite you on the podcast because um, you're maybe the only person I've found so far that speaks about the world of entities and demons in a way that makes sense with my experience. Hmm. And um, because things like psychedelics and plant medicines are becoming so popularized and starting to be used within more mainstream medicine here and in Europe, I think it's something that people need to be aware of and need to understand that uh, this is a uh, this is a reality and that people like Steiner and yourself, have been investigating this for many years and I think have some very uh, helpful um, things to offer 
as we enter into these worlds without any training and very little knowledge. Uh, I think people need to know these things in order to protect themselves. Right. Because it can be quite dangerous if you do meet demonic entities. They can actually kill off your whole family. I gave once a course in Germany, and at the end of the course, the third day or fourth day, a woman in the audience said, can you help me? Because my uncle died from cancer. He was the first. Then my father died. Then my mother died. Then uh, I got cancer three times. And then my dog, all my dogs died. Even my horse got cancer. So then I turned on my clairvoyance because this is something I can turn on and off in a second. And then I turned on and I saw a demon from the desert. They have a very special look. And the uh, desert people call it jinn. And they often create uh, cancer, cancerous situations or destructive diseases. So I said, well, this started with desert. Something Somebody in your family created an opening by something he did in the desert and that killed all the family. And he said, yes, my uncle, he had a very uh, unlucky love affair. And then he volunteered to the French Foreign Legion, was sent to Morocco and there probably shot or killed some Moroccan people. And when he came home, he had this entity within himself. And when he died, it went over to his brother, then to his brother's wife, then to this woman, and then to her horse, and then to her dog, and, and so on. Hmm. So because he thought, okay, I, uh, I, I have pain in my heart, I go to Morocco, he actually killed his whole family. So you see, it's quite serious. And you do something that create a portal. He did something he did a bad deed that creates a portal hmm. lying creates portal cheating lying murder of course uh, not to talk about things like rape or or such things especially lying and that creates portal and then you can be possessed by different uh, spiritual entities and if one of these spiritual entities is a malignant one, like a demonic creature, then you are quite, then uh, you have a problem. Hmm. And I have many patients who have that problem. And the most important is not to do like the Catholic Church do. That is to uh, push them out like, uh, what do you call it? Um, Exercise. Yes. Uh, but to transform them, that is very important. Because you, if you do the exhaustion, then you just push them onto others. Mm -hmm. And you can also do that by other ways of treatment, with acupuncture or craniosacral therapy or, or such things. The interesting thing is that <clears throat> I have talked about this, that these demonic structures, 
go over to other people on three world congresses of acupuncture. And then the acupuncturists say that, no, 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 that's impossible. We do good things. We treat people. We heal people. And every time of these three times, have doctors from either China or, or Taiwan come up to me and say, you are totally right. We know this in the East, but we just don't say it to you. All acupuncture treatment pushes the disease entity over to others. That is called translocation. Mm -hmm. And it pushes them to people who have a portal already. So you might say that it is self-blame. Um, uh, those people who get them can be sort of blamed. But still, it is not right to push it. Or you should transform it when you have a disease or have a demonic entity. And as we later will maybe talk about, or probably will talk about, such portals are also opened when you use a psychedelic like ayahuasca or iboga or even psilocybin or LSD and such things. Mm. Now, these portals, can they be opened uh, due to maybe not something that someone has done themselves willfully, but something that was done to them that creates a trauma or what we call in um, the shamanic world, a soul loss or a splitting of the soul? Mostly uh, in my culture in Norway, these portals are created by the person himself. Of course, it can be, I can also create a portal in a patient, but I, of course, never do it. With black magic, you can create a portal. But uh, mostly 99% of the portals are created by your own by actions. Your own actions, your own wrong thoughts, wrong feelings, wrong willing, and so on. Mm. Yeah, so in, uh, in the book that I've been reading of yours, you do talk about the Buddha, uh, Buddha's Eightfold Path as being a way to guard against opening up a portal in yourself with uh, observance of things like mm -hmm. right speech, right, right drink, right eating, right action, mm -hmm. all of that. Would you say that the Ten Commandments were uh, also a way to guard you against that? All these, all these rules of life is actually put there to protect you. When it say, don't lie, it is not because uh, you do something. Yeah, also it's not because a lie is a sin, which it is, of course, but it's mainly because it hurts you, it destroys you, it lets these demons in, mm. or demonic structures, or not necessarily demon demons, but elemental beings. That is more or less demonic. Mm. Well, uh, hmm. maybe I'll share a little bit about my personal experience with uh, psychedelics and demonic entities. I'm, I'm starting, you know, you're giving me a language to be able to speak about something that I've experienced, but haven't been able to find uh, much reference to that's um, clear and coherent. Uh, so 
I'll try to incorporate some of your language now, but it'd be new for me. And it feels uh, somewhat um, taboo or something to come out and talk directly about demons and evil in our culture. It's uh, been really kind of pushed into the shadows, which I think is part of the danger and leads to us being very unaware of what's going on in the spiritual realms. But uh, I had an experience when I was about 16 and had my first real heartbreak and betrayal by a good friend. And um, at that time, I was exploring uh, out-of-body travel, astral travel. And I would do, I was just experimenting on my own, but I would uh, take some codeine from a cough medicine and then I would lie down and do deep breathing and I would start to project myself out of my body. And on one of these occasions, after all these, you know, terrible things that happened to me, I was feeling, uh, I think, quite wounded. I was uh, doing some of this out of body travel and as I was leaving my body, I felt a presence rushing toward me. And I even heard footsteps on the carpet, like something was rushing and running up to me. And it scared me so bad that uh, I felt like my, my soul slammed back into my body and I woke up and I was just incredibly scared. Mm. And I actually didn't think much about it after that. You know, I didn't have people around me who knew about these things who I could talk to. This is something that was very uh, kind of private to me, this exploration. But um, about 20 years later, I started to drink ayahuasca in a church called the Santo Daimi. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but it's a... Yeah, it's a... I just heard about it. Yeah. So it's a church that started in Brazil um, and it is a syncretic church, but it's very much a Christian church and also has influences from um, spiritualism and uh, some of the kind of native beliefs from South America. Um, So 20 years later, I was in this church and I had an experience where I was with a friend who's a cranial sacral practitioner and he had offered to give me a treatment and I was lying on his bed and he was giving me the treatment when all of a sudden in my mind's eye flashed the face of a demon Hmm. and it it frightened me but in that split second I had the memory of 20 years earlier doing that out-of-body traveling and having this entity this force come rushing at me and i had the memory and the connection that in that moment i had opened myself to something and in my feeling of hurt and despondency and probably anger at the betrayal i'd called this being into me Hmm. and it had been responsible for a number of the problems that i'd experienced over the years so uh heavy drinking I could uh, drink much more than my body weight would normally enable. I could drink all night long and never pass out and um, drinking every day. Uh, And I realized that this entity, this being was doing the drinking through me. And it loved when I kind of got drunk and I would get crazy and really free and do, uh, you know, really stupid things. 
and then I had a, an experience of working with the Santo Daimi, which there's a tradition of incorporating entities, drinking the Daimi and transforming them in the light of Christ. That's a big part of the work that they're doing. And so I had an experience over a number of ceremonies in um, kind of renegotiating with this being. And I actually felt a lot of compassion for it because I had the intuition that it was in a way protecting me, but protecting me in a way that wasn't healthy for my whole life. It was keeping me uh, from having deep and intimate relationships and uh, that kind of thing. So I, I felt a lot of compassion to this being and I, I thanked it for its service and in protecting me and coming when I needed it, but that I no longer needed it. And it was actually hurting me and uh, not allowing me to live a full life. And, and so I felt like I had released this being and I had a whole experience of uh, a rebaptism during a ceremony. And the feeling coming away from that was that for the first time in many, many years, I felt like a singular person within myself. And, and so when I read your book and you talk about transforming the demons rather than translocating them, exercising them, pushing them out, uh, transforming them through the light of Christ, strengthening the I, uh, that all resonated with me. And I realized that that's kind of what had happened in my experience. And so when I read that, I, uh, I was very glad to read it. <laughs> it helped me understand this experience that I'd had that, you know, psychology would tell me that uh, this was a projection of my imagination and it was uh a projection of my trauma and that kind of thing, but that—that's not how it felt to me. Which book was that? Uh, Demon healing demons, I believe. And healing, yes. Demons and healing, yeah, yeah. So that I found that very helpful, just in terms of understanding what happened in a way that didn't just psychologize it. Hmm. So, <clears throat> hearing that story. Um, What's your perspective on, on what happened there? No, I think you have a quite uh, accurate analysis. But you still have an opening that you have to struggle. Can I be that personal? Sure. Because I can also see to see through this uh, medium is quite easy. And this opening is still in the back of your here in this area, neck and up, there is a gap where you can be attacked, which you have to close or transform. You can also transform the openings. And that has to do this opening is actually what you have been having all the time and, and probably comes from earlier lives. Mm. And so how... And we can keep this personal. I'm, I'm very happy to do that because I think making it personal will allow people to hear it uh, because they might have an initial reaction that there's, oh, there's no such thing as demons. This is nonsense. And it's all a psychological projection. So I think making it personal will help people uh, receive what we're talking about here. Yeah. How would we go about then um, transforming or closing that opening? So, you know, that is two things that has to be there for an possession. That is, as I said, an opening, a portal, and 
a demonic entity or an elemental entity, more or less demonic. And you, some are strong and they can come in through a small opening, you might say, and some have people have a big opening and they are also very sensitive for electromagnetic radiation or, or energies. And these openings can, I have quite many, I have even whole families who come which have an opening like this, and you have to close it. Uh, not too much, because uh, I remember one man, I closed his opening, and he came back and said, well, I, before I could uh, sense the dead, I could actually talk with dead family members. Now I cannot do that anymore. So can you open it a little more? So that you <laughs> it a little. So, so, so it's always a balance between sensitivity for the spiritual and vulnerability. It is like in all real life. You may, if you walk in the forest, just in the short trousers, bare body, then you are vulnerable to spiders or insects or mosquitoes. But you feel in connection with nature, or you can pack yourself in, and then you feel very uh, alienated or distanced from nature, but you get no mosquito bites. Mm -hmm. And that is also with the, with the, this uh, spiritual world. You, you, you can defend yourself, or you can open yourself. These portals are usually usually in the head area. Um, and um, on the right side, most have it on the left side, hmm. but some have it on the right side. On the right side, there is a preference for, and now we come to an expression, uh, Arimanic demons. There are three main types of demons. It is Luciferic. They go often in from the left side. Arimanic, they often come from the right side. And then you have Assyric, who are quite new in the world today. Um, they can come in often through the heart, the middle, quite close to the heart, actually quite close to the Christ area, but still they can come in there. And they are more and more uh, dominant today, these Assyric. The Assyric. Hmm. And they give, uh, among others, they can give diseases, but they also give a false clairvoyance, hmm. these Assyric beings. So if you get an Assyric being, you get clairvoyant, but it is a false clairvoyance. So you see things or you experience things that are false. That is a problem. And um, that is why uh, clairvoyance has become more and more dangerous in the past 20 years. 
and should maybe be switched to clear audience that you can hear because in the hearing, the adversarial forces cannot enter. Mm. But they can enter through seeing. And very many people don't know that. And they think they see spiritual beings that actually are adversarial beings. Mm. It's almost like the... Um, like the film of the mermaids, you know, you see this beautiful woman in the sea and then you embrace her or something and suddenly she turns into a demon and kill right. you. Um, and that is actually quite lately. Last 20 years, maybe. Mm. Does this have something to do with the resurgence of popularity in occult practices? No, it has to do with the opening of the elemental world. You know, for 5,000 years, so what the, the Indian people, not the Indians, but the Indian people called the, Kama, the, the Dark Age. Kali Yuga. Kali Yuga, the Dark Age. It ended around the late part of the 1800s. And then, at this time, the elemental world was mostly closed to common people. Not to the initiate, but, but you had to be a quite high initiate to enter totally deep in the elemental world. But in 18, around 1879, uh, the superficial area of the elemental world opened especially the Luciferic area. And then people could travel there. And then they saw nature spirits and, and gnomes and sylphs and salamanders and in Norway, troll, nister, dverger, hulder, and we have a lot of names for this. Then in uh, 1949, the second, the middle layer opened. And in 2019, the deepest layer opened which is dominated by the Asuric beings. And for example, uh, the diseases also follow that. And the Asuric beings, they create fear, cancer, mm. and fear. And the, for example, the disease of Corona is caused by Asuric forces, mm. while a normal flu is caused by Luciferic elemental beings forces and arteriosclerosis, arimanic beings. So you can say that um, between, uh, in the early 1900s, it was the infectious, the fever diseases, the luciferic diseases, then more and more the, uh, the sclerotic diseases, and now today it will become more and more the asuric diseases. That has to do with blood. Blood and the eye. So mm -hmm. this, uh, for example, this uh, uh, COVID-19 attacked the blood. That's why so many bled. They had the problems with the pericardium and the heart. And, um, and also that explains the great fear the world felt for the COVID. People were afraid. The government was afraid. And I asked myself, why are they so afraid? Of course, because this show the Assyrian forces 
and they create fear, even if they are, yeah, they are actually dangerous, but even if they are that dangerous. And these beings, for example, they are, uh, they, they have to do with cancer and bleeding and the eye. And I just read in the new Norwegian newspaper that there are more cancer now after the COVID. And I can't explain that. Mm. People die of cancer now suddenly. Now, what to what's to what purpose are these assertive beings creating the the fear? <clears throat> Why they create fear? Yeah. Because they attack the eye. The eye, the capital I, the ego. Yes. The ego, self. yeah, the self, yeah. And if somebody attack, let's say, your feeling, the Luciferic beings attack the feeling, the Arimanic being attack the life force, and the Asuric being attack the self, yeah, mm. capital R. And let's say you, you sit with a, a man or a friend, not a friend, but a, <laughs> a man, and he attacks your feeling. You say, oh, you 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 are have no good feeling and you have never felt love and you are an idiot and blah blah. Well, you you feel a little offended, but you you can deal with that. And then he start to attack your life force. Say, oh, you are so small. You are weak. You have no strength. Then I get a little more offended. But then he attacks yourself, your I, capital I, and say you are a cheat. You are cheating. You are. Uh, I can't. You, nobody can trust you, and so on. Then you really get offended. Mm. Or if you feel that it is true, you get fear. So that is these forces attack the eye, and that is the most important for the fear. Mm. Now, can we go back to the topic of the openings? Because. Um, you know, when you when you say that most of the openings that you see are around the head, it makes me think about um, ayahuasca ceremonies in South America, where it's acknowledged that the crown opens up while drinking ayahuasca. Mm. And w one of the things that I think the good responsible healers will do is they'll come and close your corona, your crown, uh, at the end of the ceremony cycle and they'll they'll recommend that you wear a hat for a number of days afterward and, and avoid direct sunlight on your head and avoid crowds and things like that is that in line with your experience of these openings is that a good practice absolutely i open these make the openings so that <coughs> you can experience the spiritual world mm -hmm or the Akashic record, or they see the karma, and so on. The same with yeah. people. People say they get, uh, when they drink ayahuasca, they get downloads. Yes. Downloads of information and insight. Yeah. yeah, you might say that. But you can also get downloads of not good beings. Mm -hmm. And that is important that the one who lead the ayahuasca ceremony know this. As you said, it, it does. Keep a hat, be careful, they can protect, 
and avoid certain things for a certain number of days until this gap is then closing again and you become uh, um, more safe. So yes, totally. Mm -hmm. One of the things um, when I was uh, having ceremonies, when I felt that there was uh, something trying to enter me, and this would often happen, especially if I was in ceremonies where people were incorporating entities. Um, I had this experience a number of times. Uh, my intuition was to call on Christ and St. Michael to protect me and to not allow anything to enter but the light of Christ. Yeah. And I wasn't raised a Christian. Um, this is just what came to me in those moments where I feared for my life is calling on Christ and St. Michael. And again, I read in your book that this is one of the ways that we can protect ourselves or to transform these uh, harmful forces. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Yes, that is actually not one of the ways. The, what, what you call the Christ force is actually the only transforming force. The other are translocating. Hmm. It's the only transforming force. And that has to do with the speciality of the Christianity. That is, love your enemy. That is the transforming. If you push him away, or an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, push it away, that is not transforming. And uh, in Sham, I... I um, I have been to several shamanistic gatherings, and I, uh, a leader of the Scandinavian shamans, was a personal friend of mine. And we discussed this, and I showed him actually that most shamanistic practices is actually translocation. They keep the spirits away, or they, uh, some say they put, send them into the light, but they don't transform. They just send them away into the light, and then they take a tour. And at a certain moment, he actually realized this was true. And then in a few weeks, he got cancer and died. And he said to me, we have to bring this to the shamanistic um, society. And I said, yes, very good. And in a few weeks, he got cancer and died. Mm. Because the spirits, they like translocation. Hmm. The, 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 the uh, not good spirits, I mean, the uh, disease elemental. They, translocation is okay to them. But they don't want transformation, at least not in the beginning. 
I think that all elementals want a transformation, but they resist it. It is like uh, Lord of the Rings, the orcs. Uh, Saruman said that the orcs were once elves, but then they were taken by the dark forces and transformed into orcs. And they actually longed to get back to be elves. But meantime, they try to kill you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could think of it as when someone's um, possessed by addiction too, while they're really caught up in the addiction, they may not want to change. Hmm. Uh, But something deep down inside of them wants to get back to, you know, a peaceful and harmonious living, right? Yes, they all actually want that deep down. So um, when you talk about one of the ways to protect yourself is by strengthening the I, the capital I. Yes. Can you speak a little? Yeah, one way. But can you speak about that specifically? Because it may sound counterintuitive to people who have picked up a little uh, a Buddhism or something where they think the goal is to dissolve the ego, dissolve the sense of self. Hmm. They may think, well, that's the opposite. Strengthen the I, strengthen the ego. What? No, we're supposed to dissolve it. We're supposed to destroy it. That's what the psychedelics are for. That's what the spiritual practice is for. Hmm. I think that is very, a very difficult point when you deal with people who, who have that opinion, actually. Uh, I have not found a very good argument against dissolving the capital I or the ego. Of course, you have the lower ego, the lower I, which is egoistic. And that one you can dissolve. But then you have the higher I or even the Christ I, which you should not dissolve. I think And that is what I personally think. I think the Christ I entered the world at Golgotha. Mm. Before that, the Christ I, or the higher I, the the spiritual was not here. It was only the more lower I, and you can see from these old histories, you know, they kill, they fight, they... It was not sort of a higher morality there. So that was right to dissolve. And Buddha lived 500 years before Christ. And at that time, he saw the terrible things that the egoistic eye did. And then it was right to dissolve it. But then everything changed at the turn of the time at year 33. Everything changed. The spiritual world came down to the earth, entered the earth, set free the realm of the dead. And this I was a totally new thing on earth that we have some thousand years to develop and build up. And through Christian I, the elemental realms. 
And that is not right to dissolve. So you might say Buddha was totally right 600 years before Christ. Today, it is wrong. Mm. Well, it's helpful uh, to hear from your understanding that there are different levels to this I, that it's not one singular construct. So there's a lower I, which has to do with um, more the personality with desires, uh, kind of base Some desires. I, yes. And that you can dissolve if you want. Not the higher one. And so how, how do people um, learn to distinguish between the levels of I, like when they're having internal dialogues with themselves, what are some ways that they can start to recognize, okay, that's the lower I, and well, this is the higher I speaking through me or acting through me? That you have to feel the difference. We have a word in Norwegian that is called an, that is, uh, it's in English translated by divine feeling or something. And you have to feel that difference. And in uh, Per Gunt that Henrik Ibsen wrote, which is a very famous writing, Per Gunt meet this karma at the road crossing and he said, oh, I've done mistake after mistake and uh, karma which is called a special name, he make the button, button maker. He say, yes, you have done wrong, but how should I know, say Per Gunt, you have to own what is right. And then Per Gunt say, what if I don't own, don't have this divine inspiration? Then the button maker say, in the lacking, of the ahnen, in German also, in ahnen, the man with the hoof have his biggest catch. You have to feel this is higher self. This is higher self speaking. This is lower self speaking. You find the money on the street or a wallet, and you mm -hmm. love it. Self say, ah, there you have <laughs> dollars for beer. Very good. And your higher self said, well, somebody owned that. And there is a car there, you know, and different things. You should give it back. Mm. Yeah, maybe an easy way for people to understand this is lower self is concerned uh, only with the self, love of self, perhaps mm. love and care for concern for self. The higher self is love and care and concern for others. Like Christ said, love your neighbor. Or truth. Yeah. Truth, beauty, goodness. Yes. The highest values. Yes. So you can start to kind of assess mm. your thoughts and actions according to, well, is this aligned with these most high values or is this just serving myself and, um, yeah, perhaps my own fear, survival fear and things like that. So when you strengthen that, I apply. That protects you from this possession. Hmm. I would say, um, you know, just based on what we've talked about in our conversation, that uh, from my perspective, a good way to strengthen the the higher self, the high higher level of I, the Christ I, is 
through prayer as a prayer as being a way to start to align your thoughts and feelings and will toward the greater good. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned other things in your book. Um, I was particularly struck by uh, how you mentioned listening to bird song um, and uh, and natural music, like unamplified music, acoustic music. Uh, can you can you speak about why you consider those ways to um, protect us from demonic forces? <clears throat> well, uh, demonic forces are elemental beings that has become demonic, just like the orcs were elves have become demonic. Uh, these, um, this change of the elemental beings, when they go through modern technology, they get arimanized, arimanized. They get actually more and more evil. So when, and I can see that concert I once, Maybe that's what you think about. I was at a concert where they had different ways of performing music. Some were with amplifier and, uh, and um, what do you call this? Microphones. Microphone, yeah. yes. And some with, was, uh, with piano and an amplifier, but you could also hear the piano. And some were only with instruments and singing. And they created totally different elemental beings. Those who went through amplifiers were much more arimanic or demonic, and they were not actually good. When they were pure singing or pure music, they were etheric elemental beings who worked totally different in the body. Mm. So I think it is a catastrophe today that all this good artists, singers, musicians, they all use amplifiers. Almost everybody. Um, yeah. Uh, and, um, so and that, one, one way that we could, um, one way that we could appeal to the demons, um, best nature, uh, is through singing and playing acoustic instruments and uh, getting back to more natural music. Yes, that did that uh, protect you actually from all the others. And on this concert, I was so able to see these groups of elemental mm. beings, um, and also the um, the uh, the music. If they were so-called great composers, they created. More beautiful elemental beings like Mozart and, and so on. And the not great created not really nice elemental being. And so, again, um, just looking at the kind of intuitive uh, wisdom of some of the old traditions to always include uh, group singing and, and chanting and, and music as part of any ritual or personal spiritual practice. They create these elemental beings and these elemental beings, as long as they are good, they are beneficial to you and helps you to connect to the spiritual world. You don't sit in a circle in the forest and one has a microphone and a loudspeaker. That is unthinkable, actually. 
That would be terrible. <laughs> now, do you think um, you think it makes a difference in terms of uh, like the words that you're singing, the types of melodies, the intention behind the the singing or playing? Does that make a big difference? Yes. And there you come into, for example, the uh, this some uh, in the, uh, investigations of the memory of water. If you have a bottle of water and you say love, 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 and then you water a plant with that, and then the other you say hate, I, I don't like you, fuck you, and another plant, then they grow in different speeds. And that is quite much investigation today, and they call it the memory of water. The same in homeopathy. They say they make this, the memory, the water, remember the substance that it has been in contact with. Mm. But that is not right. It's not a memory of water. The water does not remember anything. For example, if homeopathy had a remembrance of the water, then you take the water, sprinkle it over this globally, and then all the water is taken away, damped away. Still, it works. It has nothing to do with the water. It has to do with the elemental beings that is created. And these elemental beings can be in anything, in globally, in water, <coughs> in frequencies, in light, and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what this is um, making me think about and become more concerned about is um, the preponderance of taking psychedelics in a quote-unquote therapeutic setting where the only music is on a CD player or iPod uh, put through headphones. There's no ceremonial musician present. And um, that's always just seemed for me as a musician to be a tragedy, <laughs> but you're also raising that it could be a concern in that um, it would um, bring more of that, the harmonic forces through while the person is quite open. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, so people are kind of, um, from your perspective and from the kind of spiritual science perspective, they're doing a lot of things wrong when they're trying to, to help uh, in terms of uh, offering psychedelics as part of a therapy. Yeah, you should actually, the therapist should actually sing himself like they did in the old Sami people or in probably and so on. They were singing, um, na, da, yeah, na, na. and then they bring good elemental beings into that opening and help the patient instead of having a, a CD or even worse, an MP3 or an LP is bad enough. But a uh, CD is worse, and an MP3 is even worse. The more mm -hmm. electronic it becomes, it's worse it is. Yeah, the more uh, distant it becomes from that um, material vibrational creation of music. Is yeah, that right? Want, yeah. That's mm -hmm. why when you put a child to bed, the mother sing. Mm, it, she don't put on a... CD with uh, 
<laughs> she loves Ho- Hopefully, she still well, sings. Some do that, of course, while I sit with their phone and <laughs> talk to friends. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's another thing that you talk about in the book is how, uh, you know, as we become more technological, we become more susceptible to these kind of um, harmful entities. And so one of the ways that you can also protect yourself is to use your devices less, use less social media, all that electronic communication and try to have more face to face contact with people. Yes, absolutely. So what we do now is not the best thing. I should have been there talking to you, but I hope that what we talk about will outweigh. (laughs) (laughs) That's my hope and intention too, is that the, uh, yeah, what we're talking about outweighs, you know, the kind of deficit that we're having to work within. And also you can weaken the, the, the elemental dem, uh, demonic forces in these devices by opening the middle. Uh, well, let me pause for a moment, and then I would like you to talk about opening the middle. I mean, this opens up quite a big topic, but one that has become so central to uh, your healing practice. Okay, yeah, so you mentioned uh, the middle, the midpoint, the middle point. Can you um, talk a little bit about that? Because that's something that you've discovered over the years. It's become central to your work. Yes, that is, um, I was working actually many years, 20 years, to find out how could you transform the elemental beings that cause disease, this or that disease. And I found in the end, with help of several, that it was only the Christ force who could really transform it. And the Christ force was always to be found in the middle. Why it is so, I do not know. But Christ is always in the middle. And um, uh, and you can see, see quite many uh, sayings in the Bible. He said, where two or three gathered in my name, I am in their midst. And uh, he was in the middle of the crosses, three crosses. He always in the middle. Christ is always in the middle of everything. In the Last Supper, he's in the the center. Always in the middle. Also interesting, too, just in the image of the crucifix, it's always um, struck me that where the vertical and the horizontal meet is at his heart center. Yes. And the heart is also in the middle. Mm-hmm. The sacred the sacred heart, and so on. Um, so I, um, so I was activating sort of this middle more and more in my medical practice. And at a certain time, I was inspired to to activate the middle in also material things like 5G senders and cell phones and televisions and so on. One of the first times was in a course in America 
and it was a Japanese woman who had was very allergic to the cell phone, so she had to talk, put it away, and put on the loudspeaker, else otherwise she got red. Mm. So then I activated the middle point, and immediately, no problem with the cell phone. She could use it. And I tried that with 5G towers, with solar panels, with televisions, with computers, uh, and so on, and so on. If you activate the middle point, you, in a way, weaken the adversarial forces, the elemental forces. I had a very, very uh, telling example once in America. I had I gave a course on this middle point therapy, which I call at that time middle point. It's actually a middle area. And after the course, we were on a restaurant, and this was a typical American restaurant. It's a huge room with a TV every two meter and different channels, and people are sitting there looking and eating, looking and eating. And it was mm. three men who was especially occupied with one TV, and that was some baseball thing. And they were just looking and eating, and they were totally occupied with the TV and not the food, and not each other. So then I told my colleagues, look now, I said, now I do an experiment. I've done this only once. So I went behind the tree man and I opened the middle of the television. And the change was enormous. They suddenly woke up, they looked at the food, they looked at each other, they continued to follow the baseball, but they suddenly went from zombies to human. <laughs> and this you can do with children that work on the uh, television or are much at the television or gaming and all this you can actually weaken the elemental the adversarial elemental forces in these devices by that way and the 5g it's not necessary to fight the 5g you can open the middle and this radiation loses its pathological effect mm. Okay, so is opening the middle something that only um, an experienced clairvoyant can do? Or are there things that we can do just as regular lay people who may not have the spiritual sight? Can yes. we, yeah. Yes. Tell us. <laughs> oh, help us, please. There's so many devices. Yes. You have to be first aware, consciously, that Christ resides in the middle. Yeah. So, well, just for people listening to you, because this is some background, uh, Rudolf Steiner talked a lot about the mystery of Golgotha. So Christ's uh, crucifixion between the two thieves and um, the two thieves are embodiment or symbolic of the Arimanic and the Luciferic forces. And there's Christ in the middle. So that's just, a, I think, a helpful image for people to have in their mind when you talk about these adversarial forces and the middle. Yes. So, for example, so that is, in the first years, I thought that that was only in humans or in animals, but it is in everything. Hmm. So when you then have, let's say, a cell phone, the middle is a little, usually, above the middle. 
like the heart is a little above the middle of the human being. Right. So if people are only listening, they can look at the rectangle of their cell phone and maybe visualize a cross on yes. the phone and get a sense that the middle is uh, more uh, elevated. Yes, that was a very good. I haven't thought about that. Good. Thank oh, you. We're helping it's, people. <laughs> it is a cross, of course. Yeah. Wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So at the center of the cross, you are aware, you are conscious, there is the Christ force. And then you will it to open. And could you just say to yourself as you gaze at it and visualize that opening, you could say like open, what, what might you say? In the name of Christ. Open in the name I of Christ. Usually, I usually do the fingers like this. Ah, mm-hmm. So open. Yeah. So taking your fingers, creating like as if you're opening. Like um, when people yeah. are on the touch phone, they're opening, they're swiping, they're zooming, same kind of gesture, but opening in the name of Christ, this middle, middle point. Yeah, and I say that inside me, opening in the, I say in the love of Christ, actually, in Norwegian, love of Christ, i Christi kjærlighet, i Christi kjærlighet. Mm. And then it's done. Then they can use the phone without any problems, if they then have really done this seriously. Hmm. And, and, and you do that with um, people when you, when you diagnose people, you can see where these adversarial forces have gotten too close together. Yes. And, and what you do in your practice is to, just like with the cell phone, create yes. a space there for the Christ. Yes. And that is enough. Hmm. I, I made a, uh, also a treatment that was in the northwestern Germany. We had, I had, it was 20 veterinarians and it was about 20 horses. And I asked these veterinarians, now you do a diagnosis, a proper diagnosis of all the horses. They were osteopaths, acupuncturists, different. So they did a very thorough diagnosis. Okay, here is a problem, here is a tension, here is a pain, here is a blockage of a vertebra and so on. And I walked on the beach and I didn't follow. Then I came back and I activated only without investigating the horses, without doing anything. I activated the middle in the name of the Christ on all horses. And then we waited for 20 minutes. And then I said, now you look at the horses again. 80% of all symptoms were gone. Mm. By not treatment by just activating the middle, not a, not a diagnostic treatment. I mean, I, I didn't do any diagnosis. And this works actually very well, and I have demonstrated this several times, but you see the problem is in methods in schools and so on, there are those who uh, teach, they have a vast knowledge, you know, knowledge of this and that and how to find problems and diagnose and then treat this way or that way. If you just do the middle, you take the power away from these people. Yeah. 
I thought it was that was amazing in your in your book how you talk about one of the um, limitations of the Chinese medicine system is that it's it's binary, and it needs to evolve into a trinity to include the middle. So you're not just treating the um, the overabundance or the detriment of something, right? You're treating the middle. That's fascinating. Yes. And that was sort of taken away by purpose by the Yellow Emperor 5,000 years ago because he didn't want the middle to be found. Because, yeah. After Golgotha, it is more and more important to be aware of the middle, the Trinity, and the middle. That is so important today. Mm. That is why also several things changed uh, 2,000 years ago. One, the Trinity became important over the duality. Number two, the eye should not any longer be dissolved because you had to develop the Christ eye. And if you dissolve it, you, are, you lose the Christ. And third, the stream along the spine started to flow the other way. Mm. So if you work with the Kundalini that goes from beyond down to up, you have now to work from the stream that go from up to down, which is the opposite. So three main things changed at that time. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, we've had that opening to the spiritual, thanks to Christ. Now the work is to kind of bring it back down through the chakras to the root, to a grounding in maybe the earthly plane. Right, because Christ is now in the earth and not at the sun or in the sun, by the sun. So those kind of uh, ascensionist-oriented practices uh, are... are um, Kind of the wrong practice at, at this time. Yes. Well, that's that's interesting because what I see in the zeitgeist is a lot of people focusing now on uh, reconnecting to the earth and to natural elements. Um, you know, seeing what the the, uh, the you know all the technology, all of the screens, what that's actually doing to people and. They're wondering um, more and more, I think, well, what can we do about all of this? And, you know, I see people fighting to take down 5G towers and, um, you know, getting off the social media and all of that. But that seems to me like a fighting against rather than um, this more positive approach of opening up the that middle point, the Christ point. So by opening, not fighting the 5G, but opening the middle, you change the effect of the 5G actually from negative to neutral and then actually to positive. Right, then we can use that technology for good things. Yes, exactly. You don't have to fight it. Yeah. I, I've had this uh, feeling over the past two years, especially with um, COVID and all of the fear and division that's been happening what I what I've come to is the only explanation that makes sense is that there are there are greater forces at work through 
the people and the corporations that are so corrupt and um, seemingly just looking out for number one themselves and um, and okay. destroying the planet that there the human greed and and pride isn't uh, enough to account for the levels of corruption and evil that we're seeing in the world now that it must be something greater going on at working through these people and um you know so i'm happy to hear that uh you know rudolf steiner saw that coming and that um, people like you are continuing to observe and to find ways to help uh to help offset all of this um and also an intuition i've had is like just simply, we need more spiritual warriors in, on the planet now because it's like a battle for the human soul. It is. Do you think that, you know, it's been hard for me to say that because it could sound grandiose or inflated, but just honestly, I, I think we're at that point now and I, I can't help it, but but see that that's what's going on. And what you did from Hala actually also say we are about to run out of time mm. we don't have eternity to fight these things we have to do it now because the elemental world is now totally open the luciferic the arimanic and the azuric beings are now there and we have to transform it we have to bring christ force into this and transform it Mm. Otherwise, we are lost in densification and mat mat materialization. Right. Or would you say um, being caught by the Luciferic forces is having our, our minds and our imaginations captured by advertisers and corporations, that kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. Or the Arimanic forces or the Assyric forces. They have their different areas. Mm. Now, you know, coming back to the use of psychedelics in in therapy by people who are trained in mainstream medicine and um, psychology, you know, mostly cognitive behavioral psychology is what's deemed as safe because uh, they've studied it and, you know, quote unquote, proven that it's effective and all that. What they're trying to do more and more is to make it um, a secular practice to strip away anything resembling spirituality or religion and um, create something that uh, yeah, is purely secular and medical. And I feel that that is just so dangerous to disregard the, the spiritual aspect of, uh, of these plants and substances. What would you say as a as a person who's been a healer for a long time and, and trained other healers, what would you say to the psychotherapists who are getting interested in participating in this uh, psychedelic psychotherapy? Well, actually, <clears throat> there is there is an essential part of all medicine all psychology, all psychiatry, that if you leave out the spirit, you end up in a very materialistic you can society or system, you can solve then 
issues of anxiety, fear, and so on, but you cannot really bring the spirit to a high level. And today that is extremely important. There is not only to make a happy person, but to make a spiritual person so we can transform this earth to something that can last. It's actually said very well in, uh, in The Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Then you had those people who really could take away all diseases with these therapies. They were not really happy. It even took away death. And those who were really uh, in the spiritual development, they caught diseases, they caught death and so on. They had poverty, they could be hungry, but still that developed the spirit, the spirit and Steiner and many by him say that there is no development of spirituality without pain. Mm -hmm. You have to experience pain. You might say that is not fair, but pain is necessary for any development. So if you take away all kinds of fear and pain by drugs or whatever, mm. then you do not develop spirituality. Mm. And it's I like, um, yeah, I think about pain and suffering as often being what calls us to the spiritual path or like wakes us up and calls us onto the path. And so, yeah, what you're saying is um, treating all of the symptoms and, and making all the symptoms go away is kind of like, turning your phone onto silent mode so you don't hear when the call is coming. <laughs> you don't hear the angel calling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm with you, Ade. Um, I, I think we're in desperate times and uh, I really hope that people start to open their minds back up to this mystery of Golgotha and the power of the Christ. Um, or at least start to explore it on their own and see if they feel something, you know, maybe unexpected in my case. And I, I think in yours too, like, why do I cry when I read this book, you know? And like, for me, it's like, I go to the jungle to drink ayahuasca and connect with these elemental uh, nature spirits and there's Christ. <laughs> yes. He's in everything. Yeah. He's yeah. in everything, but you have to open for it. Yeah. And I mean, it, there's just such a kind of um, prejudice against Christ in our modern culture. Uh, you know, some things that I saw were just very sad, actually, like working with some of these indigenous healers um, at, at centers run by Westerners. Uh, so they were expected to play a, a role of the the indigenous healer. And so they would wear their uh, traditional tunics and costumes, but often underneath they would have a, a cross on their chest, but they would have to hide that because, you know, people don't go down to the jungle to have a Christian healer work with them, you know, which is very sad. But I think maybe that those, those healers are secretly working with the Christ. That I hope. Yeah, me too. That I really hope. Well, Are, uh, it's been a really wonderful conversation with you, and I, I'm so happy um, uh, 
that I was able to speak with you openly about some of my experiences and uh, not have you psychologize me. <laughs> That's good. And um, of course, uh, people, you've written many, many books on all of these topics. Uh, so if, if there are people out there interested, they can find your books. Um, do you have any, what are you working on now? What do you have coming up? What I'm working on now is, is how to enter the spiritual world. Hmm. Travels on the Northern Path of Initiation, yeah. your latest book. Because you see, there are different roads to follow to enter the spiritual world. The mostly used is the Southern Way. Southern and, Way. Yes, Southern Way. Yeah. That's the microcosmic way or the internal way. Like in Buddhism, you go inside. And uh, what I have been doing my whole life since I was five is going the Northern Way. That is the macrocosmic way. I fade into nature. And there I pass the threshold and come into the spiritual world. And I've been writing quite much about that lately. And also with what thresholds you go past and what uh, guardians of the threshold you meet. And I think today that the northern path of initiation is more and more important or more important than the southern way. Hmm. So this is my main item these days. Hmm. Not necessarily treatment of patients and all this. I have sort of put that a little behind me as I am, uh, do not, I reduced my practice as I'm 70. And I have now worked much more than with uh, how to get into the spiritual world for everybody. Yeah, it seems kind of natural that at this stage in your life that it would be more about uh, initiating people onto the path so that they can continue to develop the work that you've been doing. Yes. And, um, you know, just personally, I'm interested in uh, developing clairvoyance. And uh, you, you mentioned a little bit in your book about, uh, so this is Travels on the Northern Path book. Yeah, clairvoyance. Yeah, because you talk about separating the um, thought, feeling, and will, uh, but I would like more information, so I'll, I'll look at that book and encourage other people to look at that. We can discuss that book. Yeah. Well, give me some time to uh, absorb it and maybe uh, try some practices. Uh, and one then we'll week? see. One hmm? week? Yes, one, one week. week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow, I'll just... <laughs> Tomorrow, we meet again. Yeah. See, now I can download it and have it on my iPad in a split second, you know. <laughs> um, not, well, thank you so not, much. Not an ebook. It is only... Uh, I haven't it as a... I do not have it as an ebook. Ah, uh, okay. You have Hard. to actually uh, hold it in your hands. Yeah, okay, good. Um, well, thank you so much, Are, and um, I'm hoping to speak to you again. Yeah, one week. <laughs> Goodbye. The Medicine Path is produced by Brian James on unceded Coast Salish territory, Vancouver Island, Canada. For more information, visit brianjames.ca. Music by Olive Artizoni, a.k.a. Greenhouse.
Join the Medicine Path tribe and gain early access to episodes and the full podcast archives at patreon.com forward slash medicine path. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rain fall soft upon your fields. Until the next time we meet on the Medicine Path. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.